name is Mike Laurie, and I am pastor here, and I'm going to get us a little organized here. It is really good to be with you as we begin today and as we begin this incredible morning, continuing this incredible morning of celebration. I want to bring up a good friend of ours here at Warehouse. His name is Howard Fullerton. So would Howard Fullerton please come to the stage? Now, Howard is somebody that all of you have seen, but perhaps not all of you know. And so Howard is going to come up on stage, and I'm just going to say this in the beginning, my friend. This is like your least favorite place to be on a Sunday morning, is standing up here in front of a group of people. Correct. Correct. We have a mic. <laughs> Use the microphone to say that. Correct. There we go. <laughs> Howard has been faithfully serving here at Warehouse for about 130 years, and so um, we're grateful for... 128, he said. So uh, um, Howard and Shelby have been uh, part of this community for a long time, all the way back. And we're grateful for that. A couple weeks ago, um, in the name of generosity, we, um, we had this little exercise. Some of you were here. Um, who was here when we put money under chairs and desks and tables, right? Yeah. So a couple weeks ago, we took uh, uh, 10 $20 bills and stuck them under certain seats and chairs. And I'm not going to lie to you. We know where Howard and Shelby sit every week, and so one of them was behind Howard's chair, so yeah, you were a little set up, and uh, we knew that, and uh, so we, uh, we put it back there, but then we said to everybody, was, all right, we're going to give you $20, the rest of you, you had to come up with your own seed money, but in the name of generosity, and we're doing the generous word, how Jesus is generous in the book of John, we said, all right, we're going to give you some seed money, and then we're going to have you go with all of your thoughtfulness and ideas and wisdom and come up with some way to be generous. And we took all their names and signed them up. And in our head, when Laurie and I made this idea, we're like, oh, everybody will come back in two weeks. But it's July. And when we reached out, like, of the 10 people, um, one was available. <laughs> the other ones were gone. Maybe they hadn't spent their money yet. We're not sure yet. Uh, but Howard was going to be here. And so let me just ask you this. Howard, you got the money. You were sitting back there. You got your $20. You, you started figuring out something to do um, of how to be generous. So use the microphone and just share with us. Um, what, what did that look like? What was your idea, and how did you come up with it? Well, as soon as I got the money and looked at it, I looked over at Shelby and said, oh, I think I ought to give this to Nate, because I saw him sitting back here, oh. and I knew where he was going and what he was going to be doing, and I could think of nobody better mm -hmm. to give it to. Yeah, Nate Ledbetter, one of our pastors here, who um, took a call uh, to move to the border in El Paso to work with... Um, uh, do ministry on the border, do ministry with um, our friends and neighbors, brothers and sisters crossing at the border. Um, and Nate was with us for a while, and Nate served um, on the margins and, and led um, faithfully on that. And so it was his last week. It just happened to be, I think, his last week here. And so did you, um, did you go over and give the money to him right away? Well, I walked up to him, had him a hand, mm -hmm. shook his hand, and he looked at it. I gave him a hug, and he gave me a, back a hug, and he was real... I think he was surprised. Yeah, I bet he was surprised. And what a way to be generous. We are, um, we, we're not letting, we're not losing Nate. The kingdom is gaining um, another um, leader, uh, who is a leader, just in another space. And so part of what our desire for Nate and Melissa and kids were in their hair is that when they left, they would feel that they were encouraged and supported by this as a sending organization to them to do this ministry. So you gave them money, you hugged, you probably cried. <laughs> probably. Uh, then you, you get down, you get in the car, you drive home with Shelby. What was that conversation like? Well, it made me think about being generous. And I figured it was a lot more ways to be generous than just 
giving money, we can be generous by giving our time, volunteering, helping people in need, and just sitting quietly and listening to somebody talk and tell you their story. Mm -hmm. And when they get through, don't say anything. Mm -hmm. Just give them a hug, tell them you love them, mm -hmm. and say you'll pray, pray with them and for them. Well, I, I think church is over, guys. Let's just go home. I don't <laughs> know if it's, it's not going to get in. I think we hit our high point here. So um, you are the embodiment of a servant leader. You have been so faithfully serving in this space. You um, are willing to do all the physical labor. Shelby was just reminding me that you go to drop off pickup for kids at Camp Lurcrest, and you're like helping put luggage on, and you, you're here and you're pulling chairs, and you're fixing things that are broken, and you are constantly, constantly serving. You are the embodiment of servanthood and generosity. And I know you're not perfect. She reminded yeah, no me of way. that earlier, just not at all. But we are so incredibly grateful for you and your wife and your family and your ministry here at Warehouse. And we're so grateful that God prompted you to serve the Ledbetters and you did so. And so we're grateful for you. So thanks, Howard. Appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, and it's, it's interesting. We're tracking some of the stories of things that have happened um, with the money, and it's cool, and we're going to have more time to share those stories in a little bit, and we'll do that. So um, uh, good morning. It's been a couple weeks since I've been up here. Um, I've been gone, um, not on vacation yet, but just uh, um, serving at Camp Lurcrest. I got my Camp Lurcrest shirt on today, and uh, yeah, and so, uh, and, and I got my other Camp Lurcrest shirt on. I'm just, and my hat's upstairs. I forgot it. Sorry, uh, but I was fully uh, geared up for today. Um, this summer, 36 warehouse kids will be at Camp Lurcrest, either have been or will continue to go. And that doesn't include friends, neighbors, family members. Um, it includes people that have moved away from warehouse. We had a couple uh, kids from, uh, that, that now live in the Panhandle. Um, we have um, former members, former members' grandkids. Um, we have um, volunteers. Um, many, uh, a, a bunch, uh, including my wife, like worked in the kitchen for a week. Um, I'm looking at Jana, and I know Jana has been part of the, uh, the bus stuff on Saturdays and Sundays. All said and done, I think there are about 50 warehouse people that will be at Camp Lorecrest this summer in some capacity. And as we walked in this morning, and there are all kinds of Lurecrestians. I came up with this name today. So um, if you are working at Camp Lurecrest this summer, would you stand for me if you're working at the camp? Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Yeah, and, and uh, Soren has, uh, came home, and these guys came home just for the night. Uh, and they efforted to come to church in the morning after being at camp and being exhausted. So we're grateful that you guys are all here. So thanks for being here. Um, you guys can have a seat. So thanks for that. Uh, camp Lurecrest is a camp up at Lake Lure. Um, there are a couple people that attend here, members here, Shelly Tuttle and Carla Love. They're both working today uh, for camp, and they couldn't be here this morning, but they're on staff. Uh, Scott Woods used to be on staff as well when he was a member here uh, at the camp. Um, camp Lurecrest is this... Um, it, incredible, incredible ministry that has served this church so well and so faithfully for years. Um, we were first, we moved here. Um, my six-year anniversary, our six-year anniversary was about a month ago here in June. Uh, six years ago, we came, and as soon as we got here, Anne, my wife, went to work in the kitchen right away, and we got invited into this thing. Um, and uh, the next year, they asked me to teach at high school week, and this is my fifth year uh, teaching at high school week. Um, 
last year it was canceled, but I count it uh, because I was, I was, my name was on the website and then they canceled it, but I claim it. So, uh, uh, and I, so I sat Ann and the kids down and I gave them all 10 talks, like through the week, you know, we did our own camp. It was great. Ann came forward at the invitation at the end. It was really good. I was really grateful. We had cookie mush. It was good. Like everything was good. Uh, um, but it has been an extraordinary part of my life, my story at Warehouse. And when we were, do, we're doing John, we're doing the generous word, and we're taking 21 weeks to walk through John. And I don't know about you, and I'm afraid to ask. And partly I don't really care, but, but I do and I don't. But what, what's happening is that I, I have been incredibly moved by this book. And I've been incredibly moved by the words and the ideas of generosity that are flown out of this book. I'm incredibly encouraged by those that have taught on our be- with us as well, this team that we've put together. And, and, and I'm looking at my friend Ashley here several weeks ago, just unpacked uh, John 6, I think it was, and it was amazing. And then Laura Strahl and Melissa Ledbetter. And last week, Kurt Graves, was, it was an unbelievably tender and thoughtful, very, very fatherly encouragement in the last chapter. And, and Holly's coming up, and I'm excited for that. But we, the, God has put this together, and so as a teacher of this book and as a recipient, it's been incredible. It has been incredible to gather with you at meetups and to talk about this, but I'm grateful. And I'm really, really grateful for this book and this, this idea of Jesus being generous. But I knew when we started this 21-week thing that I was going to go to camp again. And so I didn't teach the Sunday that I went into camp, and I didn't teach the Sunday that I got back. I got back on a Saturday, uh, and uh, I I knew I was going to take that Sunday off, and I was going to teach the next week. But I committed myself to talk about camp kind of regardless of what chapter it fell on. And it happened to fall on chapter 14 in the book of John. And what's beautiful about this is that this is the passage where Jesus says, when, when, when the disciples are troubled and they know Jesus' hour is about to come and they know he's going to lay his life down and they're, and they're fearful and anxious and troubled, he says, I am the way and I am the truth and I am your life. And it is a perfect backdrop to talk about the generosity of Jesus and Camp Lorecrest. I want to share that with you if we can this morning. So it's going to look a little different. It's, Sort of a sermon. I got a lot of notes here. We'll see what happens. So why don't we take out John chapter 14. If you need a Bible, there is a little shelf in the middle between transform and engage. We have physical Bibles. Take it out. If you have one on your phone, take it out. But we're going to read John 14. Kurt did this last week, read the whole chapter. I thought, yeah, let's just do that. Let's just do this, and then we're going to... I'm going to read the chapter. I'm going to point out three things that are standing out in this chapter to me. I'm going to talk a little bit about camp. And, um, yeah, we'll just... We're going to break bread today, and we're going to sing some more. We're going to pray. It's going to be good. So here we go. Uh, John 14, uh, Jesus comforts his disciples. So let's just read the whole thing. It's about 30 verses. We'll have it on the board, too. And uh, we're just going to read it all the way through. Now, just, uh, just as, a, as a reminder, in chapter 13 at the end, Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And 14 is a continuation of this answer. Where are you going? Where are you going? And he says to him in, in, in verse 36, where I'm going, you can't follow now, but you will later. So he's un. He's just unpacking that. He says, Do not let your hearts be troubled, but trust in God. Trust also in me. For in my Father's house there are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. 
But Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus answered them, For I am the way, and I am the truth, and I am the life. And nobody comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. Then Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus said, Don't you know me? Philip, for even after I've been among you such a long time, for anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am the Father and the Father is in me, or that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. For I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to be with the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may be bring glory to the Father. You may ask for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, you will obey what I command and I will ask the Father and he will give another, a counselor, to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you before long. The world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live in you, and you will also will live. For on that day you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you, and whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and, not, and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Iscariot, but the other Judas said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself and not to the world? And Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and he will come to him, and we will make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who has sent me. But all this I've spoken while with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I've said to you. Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. I do not uh, give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You have heard me say I'm going and I'm coming back from you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I am. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not ask, uh, I'm sorry, I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold of me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. That's John chapter 14. And John chapter 14 begins with this idea of Jesus' disciples being troubled. Three years they've been with Jesus. Three years Jesus has been teaching, unpacking um, the truth about who the Father is. Um, they have moved ar around and have made their way back to Jerusalem, but the disciples clearly know that there is a threat in Jerusalem for Jesus to lose his life, and, the, and, the, and they know that. And so he makes them go back for the feast of the Passover, and his disciples rightly are afraid. 
They're afraid what's going to happen to Jesus. They're afraid what's going to happen to them. And so they're in this room. They're, they're sharing the Passover meal. He washes their feet. Um, he's going to give them, um, he's going to break bread with them and um, pass the cup. He's going to give them the new covenant. And then he knows that they're going to leave. Come now, let us leave. Um, he understands that he needs to go out. Jesus, they understand that Jesus is going to come to an end. The Jesus life ministry is coming to an end. And they're troubled. And they're troubled. And it's interesting because when we, look, when we look at John chapter 14, when I did over this last week and thought about um, what happened at Camp Lorecrest, I, I couldn't have been more uh, encouraged by this passage. For there were three takeaways, three things that I found in this passage that I, I think makes sense for us to talk about this morning. So if we can put just that first slide up about our three takeaways. There's three things. If you're taking notes, you want to do this, that's fine. But there's three things that I think he says, one more than, than I know he says, but things that I think I want to talk about. And one is that he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. The second thing, in, in, in the middle of that passage, or the, kind of the beginning, he's talking about the Father in him, the Father in him. But he makes the statement that God is going to do his own work. There's something there that really spoke to me this week about what is my role on planet Earth. And finally, at the end, there's this promise of this gift of the Holy Spirit that's so beyond beautiful and profound. Um, but I think all of these things um, are, are connected to just what happened to us last week. So let's just start with the first one. I am the, we, you can leave this up for a while. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what he said. So based on that question, where are you going? He says, I'm going to my father's house. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And they're like, but we still don't understand where you're going. He's like, I, you, you don't understand. You can't go, but you will go eventually. Uh, but I'm going there because my father is loving and hospitable. But when they said, well, where is the way... And he says, no, 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 you understand that, 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 yes, all of you are on a journey, but actually I am the way. And he gives them a sense of direction. He says, I am the truth. And he gives them a sense of um, a profound understanding of how the world operates. I'm the way and the truth. And then he says, I'm the life. And he's not talking about a future life. He's talking about life current and future. And there's this idea that Jesus' declaration to them in the sixth of the seventh I am statements, I am being the, the ego am I of Greek saying I am, he's claiming his divinity. So he's saying I'm divine, I'm the direction, I'm fully absolute, and I will make you full. Um, I will make you full. There's not a, a single uh, age group in the North American context that has suffered more in pandemic than teenagers. Uh, to some degree, there's a, the, a second, a close second would be elderly who are living in isolation. But no group of people has suffered more than teenagers during the pandemic. I read a study this, uh, th this week that came out um, just at the beginning of the summer uh, from the University of Michigan, so it has to be true. Um, and why doubt it? Uh, Ashley's done, and <laughs> she's, uh, yeah, that's true. Um, but this study, sort of the end of the pandemic, said that about 50% of parents in this uh, national study say that their teens have shown signs of beginning or worsening mental health conditions since the beginning of the pandemic. 50%. And the number is a lot higher amongst our girls. Our students are living, have lived the last two years in a very, very closed space that has brought on tremendous anxiety, depression, cutting, suicide, uh, anger, isolation, fear, resentment, shame, all of it. On top of that, 
their kids have seen more disruption in the home in the last two years, parents fighting, parents splitting up, abuse, alcohol, substances, leaking into the families, and then leaking into them. There is not a people group in America that has suffered more in the last two years than our teenagers. Their frontal lobes have been stunted. They are emotionally stunted. They are physically stunted. They're unhealthy with their food. They're unhealthy with their ex. They're not. They're, they have been, they've been crammed into this space and they, and, they've, and, and they can't disconnect from this that gives them direction and truth and life. Um, I don't know if I should say this, so maybe we'll just delete this out of the sermon later so it'll never appear again. But at camp, there's nurse volunteers that are there for the week. And I named reality to our students on the first day. I told them all of this. Nobody has suffered more. I'm going to name reality. And afterwards, the nurse came up to me and said, I've been looking through their files this week and preparing for them. And she said, I cannot believe what I'm reading in these files. Um, there is, uh, it was shocking. Shocking. And our teenagers showed up into, uh, I'm going to throw a loop for you here, my friend in the back, Aaron. Show up the picture of us like in the chapel, if you can find that one, I know. That's good. How many kids were at Camp Soren that week? Probably about eight or 10,000. I mean, it's hard to tell. I'm <laughs> not very good at counting. I went to public school. I, I don't know. It seems 20, 30,000 people. I don't know. What's that? Yeah, it's Michigan Public Schools. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, but the amount of... and. I, the amount of ache that walked into the room that first day was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. The amount of brokenness in the room was overwhelming. I made a contract with our kids in the beginning. I said, um, we're going to have a lot of fun. We're going to celebrate. Camp's fun. Camp should be fun. Camp should be full of celebration. It is full of celebration. There's so much joy at camp. If you don't have fun at camp, I, I don't know. I'm not sure you have a soul Oh, there's our own. Look at, look at, there's Eleanor. I think she's there. Oh, Al, I didn't tell you I was going to put you up on the slide there. There's one of them. Put up the other one next. Let's see what else do we have that we send you. I think that's Soren. Is that you, Soren? Yeah, it is. Um, that's the zip line, the new zip line, which is great. And from the top of this thing, you can actually see over that crest into Lake Lure. It is stunning. God did the world a favor when he made Lake Lure. If you haven't been there, please go. Maybe we have one more picture, Aaron. Yeah, that's just us back in camp um, uh, up there doing our thing. Um, but I made a deal with him when I walked in the first day, and I said, I want, I want to treat you both like students and adults. I want to, I want to make space for this. I want to treat you like students, or we're going to have fun. Um, I told the camp staff before we started, they were going to forget everything that we talked to them, everything we tried to teach them this week. Well, they will not forget whether or not you love them. They will, they will know if they were seen and heard and loved. And we, you got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps because it is exhausting work being at camp. It's exhausting emotionally. But I said, you know, nobody should out-love these kids than, than a camp staff. And that was our goal that week was to bring them some honor and dignity 
And I said, I want to treat you like, we're going to have fun, but I also want to treat you like adults. I want to challenge you a little bit. Because I think that the problem for our students right now is questions of direction and truth and satisfaction in life, the way, the truth, and the life. I think those things are being challenged. Two of the worst expressions in American culture are you do you and live your truth. If we did nothing but cut those two crappy statements out of our lives, we would be a better place. You do you. That is untethered to anything responsible. No, I, I, I want more of Jesus and less of me. That's a, that's a happier world for me. And live your truth means that there is a, like, sort of like an equity of truth. And the slippery slope of that is that we're just going to have to go, eh, shrug our shoulders to what anybody claims to be true. But Jesus teaches in John over and over, verily, 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 I say to you. How many times have we read that in 14 chapters? Truth, truth. And the other thing I told them was, I'm going to give you God's truth, not Mike's truth. I'm going to root all of this in the truth of Jesus. Guess what they got this week, you guys? They got John 7 through 10. (laughs) These guys, all our warehouse kids showed up at camp and were like, we're doing John? Seriously? It's been 10 weeks of this. It's like, yeah, the, the prep work was already done. They got a lot of John. But truly, truly, and I took them through, are you thirsty? You want something to drink? I'm the light of the world. I'm the good shepherd. Do you want to be healed? Truly, truly, I told you. So we rooted it in Jesus to the best of our ability. But it was fun, too, because, you know, it can't all be, like, serious. So um, I do this thing called Camper of the Day. And uh, Camper of the Day is the great, it's, it's, I think it's worth more than a gold medal in the Olympics. Um, and you can't earn it. It's a lot like Jesus' love. I just know it when I see it. Uh, and... Uh, one day a kid had a Nirvana t-shirt on, and uh, he won camper of the day. <laughs> You're going to wear Nirvana. Uh, but I will tell you this. At some point along the way, I may have said that I listened to the Beastie Boys. And so at the end of camp, when this girl was leaving, she was like, oh, my dad's here. I got to go. But just to let you know, my dad in pickup and drop-off line for the last, like, 10 years of my life have forced us to listen to his music. And she said, and just going to say that Paul Revere by the Beastie Boys is probably the greatest song ever written. And I was like, I'm going to pay your scholarship for next year to go to camp. Like, you are extraordinary. Um, But I give Mike's folksy wisdom of the day. I wanted to talk about truth and how complicated truth is. And so um, I would just give them my truths every day. I would get up and make a statement about what's really true in the world. I didn't do this very well because the first one I started was, (laughs) was that Country music is not an art form. And I lost about three-quarters of my group the first day. I should have started with something softer, you know, like uh, Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader do not deserve our sympathy. That was one for, you know, one of the truths for the day. Orange Gatorade is the only color of Gatorade you should drink. Like things I should have started soft, um, but I started with that first one. Um, but we would have fun, and part of the, 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 the reality behind that was trying to recognize um, how many voices there are in the world and how loud those voices are. And our idea for camp was to root camp um, in, in, in direction and truth and life. Walter Brueggemann, um, who's just one of my favorite writers, um, he's got this quote, the prophetic tasks of the church, and they're plural, are to tell the truth in a society that lives in illusion, to grieve in a society that practices denial and express hope in a society that lives in despair. I think that was the role of camp last week, and we made a billion mistakes, but man, 
I hope that we talked about truth and we grieved well with them and that we expressed hope in a, in a, in a world of despair. The second thing um, that I found helpful when we were there um, was this idea that God is doing the work. This one is really important to me. See, in the story, he's talking about God and me and me and, and the Father and I are one. And the Father is in me and, and I'm with you because that's the, that's, the, um, that's the Israelite understanding of God's presence is with you. But he's like, he's with you, uh, present tense, and he says, and in the future, he will be in you. That was this radical statement that God is transforming uh, the, the, what it means for God to be present. And because God is in we need to remember it because he says, because God is in me, God is actually doing all the work. And I think this is really important for us. See, there can be a lot of pressure on me as a pastor to say, you know, I got to do the right thing, say the right thing. I got to vision the right thing. I got to be clear. I got to be ready. I got to be prepared. I got to be available constantly. Um, and uh, it's the same for our staff. It's the same for our elders. It's the same for our leaders. It's the same for you. And it's not just the same in church life. It's the same home, at home, too, about being uh, the right kind of parent or the right kind of student or the right kind of employee or the right kind of boss. There's this idea that we can buy into this idea um, of over-inflating um, what we're supposed to bring to the table. And there's this healthy reminder, as I read and studied for this week, about being reminded that God is actually doing the work. God is actually doing the work. And I think that's really important. I think it's important as we do church here at Warehouse 242 that we understand that God is the one that is doing the work. He is the principal actor in the story. We are not. He is the great I am and we are the great I am nots. He is sovereign and, and king of the universe and we're not. And yes, there's a call to be honest and sincere and clear as we can be but as I've been saying for the last few months, we are not going to outpace the Holy Spirit. And I took that into camp with me to just to, to measure this as we went. Not to outpace the Holy Spirit. Not to outpace the Holy Spirit. Um, and it was important to do that because of the weight of it. I, so at camp, I have to teach 10 times. There's five morning talks and five night talks. It's exhausting. Um, it's a little immoral. So I kind of cut some of the morning talks down uh, and tell just long stories, and that eats up my time. And, uh, but it's exhausting. But not only that, then you have to be available. You're on camp, and you're working with students all day. You're working with staff. So from Dan, the camp director, all the way down to, you know, to volunteers, to kids, I'm with them constantly. And there was this notion that I carried into the week, this axiom of don't outpace the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit lead you, allow the Holy Spirit to come for you, and then, and then have courage to speak when you're supposed to speak. I met this camper one day, uh, it was during uh, some of their quiet time in their, in their uh, cabins, and wanted to meet with me, and I was not thrilled with that because I was tired. I was just physically tired, and I wanted to go home and, and take a nap, and uh, get some rest so I could gear up for doing the Lord's work, uh, you know, in an hour, but not right now. And, uh, and this counselor was like, he really needs to see you, really needs to see you. So I, I go meet with this kid, and I'm like, all right, so what's your story? And he's like, well, um, I have to go home at the end of the week. And uh, my parents, they, they lay hands on my sister and I. And uh, I got to go home to that. And um, my parents have been in and out of jail in this last season. They split up and they came back together and they made a business contract to be together to save some money. Um, but they're angry at their choice, so they take it out on us. And he just said, I, what am I supposed to do when I go home? What am I supposed to do? 
and I'm going to tell you what I'm doing, and I'm going to tell you what my plan is. It's 15. I'm going to tell you what my plan is to, um, to protect my sister. And uh, would, you, would you just be honest and sincere enough to tell me if my plan's okay? And if not, would you give me some advice maybe what I can do? And I said, um, what's your greatest fear? And he said, that I have to go off to school in a couple years and i got to leave my sister at home. I have to trust that God's doing the work because I can't do it. I can't do it. And I, I can't go home with this kid. Um, And so we talked about his comfort in Christ and how he really believed it. He really believed it. But he didn't want to go home. We have to trust that God is doing the work because we can't do it. We will fail 100% of the time. But the Spirit of God is saying over and over, don't outpace me, trust me. Trust the story Trust me as the storyteller. Trust that I am the directional way and that I am the absolute truth and I am the life abundant. Yes, there are going to be troubles in the world, but I will never leave you. Man, I was forced to trust the story this week and trust the storyteller. Don't outpace the Holy Spirit. The invitation is to come and to yield and to surrender and to find satisfaction in him. God is always in the business of restoring shalom. He's always in the business of putting things back together, putting things in its right place. God is always in the business of transforming hearts. It is him doing the work, and I have to yield to that, and I have to surrender to that. And we all have to do that. All right, third thing, the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is so great and profound. So great and profound. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, Jesus on earth for 30 years, three years in his teaching discipleship with his disciples in this rabbinical role, has to leave them, so he gifts to them the Holy Spirit. He calls the Holy Spirit this word in Greek called paraclete. It's one of the great words in Scripture, paraclete. It, is a, it started out as a legal word for somebody that would come to court and stand up on your behalf and speak words of defense on your behalf. It's a little bit like a witness. The word, I don't think, it ended up morphing from that. It wasn't used a lot in time. It kind of got away from that. Because the heartbeat of this word is not just some practical action. It's translated as comforter or counselor. It has to do with love. It has to do with care. It has to do with kindness and mercy. It's not somebody that just shows up and says, here are the facts. Here are the facts. It's somebody that shows up and stands with you and says, I'll carry the burden with you. I'm with you in this trial. And Jesus names the, this Holy Spirit the counselor, the comforter, the spirit of truth, and says, this is going to be given to you, and not just at you, but in you. And up until this time in, in Hebrew history, God was with them, 
but not in them. He was in the temple. He was in the ark. He was, but he wasn't in them. And Jesus said, here's the radical, gross absurdity was the word that I used last week. The gross absurdity of the love of God is that his spirit is in, not against or at, but in. And this comforter that stands as an advocate for you before the Lord is also an advocate for truth. And the Holy Spirit, if nothing else, is trying to combine the absoluteness of Jesus into the brokenness of your heart. And he is knitting that together. And that bond that is made can never, ever be undone. He begins to talk about orphans. He uses language of this legal adoption. And Jesus, over and over and over, and John, I will never leave you. I'm never going to leave you. I can't undo this. Man, and I, I'm just going to tell you this, this week, trusting that God is doing the work, trusting the spirit of God, the comforter, the counselor, the paraclete, the, the advocate, the lover of my soul, the, the one that stands up for, uh, for, for me and then stands up for truth and knits them together. This was exactly what I needed to read this week. And that's how the gospel gets put on display. And so at camp, we, we riffed off this, this, this phrase, remember, repent, and return. It's easiest to think of the story of the, uh, um, uh, the parable of the, uh, of the prodigal son. The son runs away. And while he's living in his trouble and his misery, he remembers. He repents and then he returns. And when he returns, there's a celebration. And so on that riff, we talked about remembering and then we dealt with sin. And then there was an invitation to come home. And, and I'm not, I was, did youth ministry for 12 years, and, and I, I, I do try to avoid, like, any sort of manipulation. I try to, um, meaning that I, 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 I really work to plan not to be in a manipulative state. Um, because I think emotional manipulation won't last. It, it won't last. It's a high, and it'll go away. And my youth worker friend here knows that. And so we work against it. But on the last day in Jesus, and we're doing John 10, I'm the good shepherd, and the invitation was to come back in the pen. And I just said, I just feel like somebody needs to come home. And when I said that, a counselor, a man, he had a beard. He was a man. He had a beard. This guy, this counselor stood up. And I'm like, he's kind of talking to the kids. I saw him, I said, do you want to come home? And he said, I do. And he just walked up to the front. And he just, I put my arms around him, and he's big. He's like 6'2 and two and a quarter maybe. And he just, like that brokenness of just laying it down, that surrender, could not believe that the invitation was to always come home. And it broke from there. And that moment of the camp was like, oh my gosh, there really is space for me to return. And after this two years of pandemic and isolation and anxiety and fear and depression and hate and anger and all of it, Jesus is like, why don't you come home? Let's make some space for you to come back. You are worthy of love and belonging. It was unbelievable. It was unbelievable. Because our students were reminded that the spirit of God that is in them, that advocates for them, counselors and comforts them, and holds up truth, we're putting those two things together and uniting them back into the loving arms of the Father. And it was extraordinary. It was extraordinary because God did the work. And I'm trusting that he will continue to do the work as these kids go home.
especially my buddy. He's home now. I have to believe that. The Montrec camp is a week can change a life. It's a lot of pressure. Um, but I am incredibly grateful because when I go to Lurecrest, we go to Lurecrest. It's not, it's not Mike, it's, it's us. We're, you're sending me and I'm sending students and, and you're sending volunteers and we go and we do this as a partner. And I am so deeply, incredibly grateful for Camp Lurecrest and their commitment to the gospel and the transforming power of the gospel. It was a good week. It's been a good summer. And I wanted to tell you that story. Why don't you pray with me? And then we'll break some bread. Lord, I'm so incredibly grateful for um, the work that you do. You are in the business of um, restoring broken things and inviting people to come home. And um, you do that um, <laughs> so perfectly. And your love and care and kindness is so over the top. And your, your love is so grossly absurd. I'm so grateful for that. And I thank you for camp and the ministry that camp has in the summer to thousands of people. And I pray that your spirit that is with them and in them, that you will lead them, that you will counsel and comfort and be an advocate for them and you will hold up truth and you will point people to resurrect to Jesus and God, you will do and complete the work. May we have faith and confidence. And for us as a church, may we receive this this morning that you are our direction and you are our... Um, truth and you are the only thing that satisfies in life. You are the antidote to our brokenness. And in you we can find an abundant life and we're grateful for that. Thank you Jesus for that. Amen.